For this, our 10th season, we will focus on telling true stories about the men and women we have come to know over 28 years of recovery. Each episode will tell the story of what life was like as an addicted or alcoholic person, what happened to wake that person up, and what is life like today. Not all stories are ones of success. Some of our friends didn't make it as they relapsed and so far have not come in from the cold. Some died in circumstances that had nothing to do with their disease. Others had a rough start, but they persevered and now enjoy a full and productive life. Some are old guys like me, and others are relative youngsters who serve as great examples to other younger addicts. Our stories describe addicts and alcoholics of many different cultures, a range of socioeconomic status, different generations, gender types, and sexual preferences, if they're relevant to their story. I like to say that addiction and alcoholism are equal opportunity predators. They don't discriminate. And you will see how the stories we share about our friends will prove the truth of that statement. Episode 2, Season 10. Ricky, have you seen Keith Richards? This is the story of my best friend at the time of my early sobriety. I met Ricky under some unusual circumstances. I was introduced to him by my girlfriend, who once dated Ricky years ago, before she married another guy. I do not remember exactly, but I think the idea my girlfriend had was that he could keep keep me out of trouble when she wasn't around to keep an eye on me. (laughs) I fell for this lovely Japanese-American woman after chasing her around a skating rink in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I had settled after taking a job at an ad agency there after I got fired from another ad agency in New York. She was quite exceptional as a beauty and as a figure skater. She was also married, but I didn't care. I was so in lust with this marvelous creature. I finally broke up with her after I got sober. I was in a dishonest relationship with her, and that was against principle. I had to undo what I had done. Ricky was an exceptional young guy about my age, and he looked just like Keith Richards did at the time. Spiked hair, skinny as a rail, and a chain smoker. What made him exceptional was his tolerance of me as a friend. He was incredibly laid back while I was the hyper one. I met him just a few months before I got sober in July 1993. Seems like a long time ago now, but I will never forget him nonetheless. We would sit in a booth at Ma Fisher's diner in the city, and I would whine about why my married girlfriend would put up with her husband if she didn't love him anymore. I was seriously obsessed with this lady, day and night. I was sexually addicted to this lady. I was jealous that Rick had sex with her in the past, but he was still my friend, and I assumed he wasn't having sex with her anymore. (laughs) Before I got sober... I had been diagnosed with OCD, uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder, that is. Depression, anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and alcoholism and drug abuse disorder, among a few other things. It took about three months for the doctors to realize that all, I mean all, of my psychiatric problems could be attributed to my addictive disorder. And all I needed was to get clean and sober and stay that way. After I got sober, Ricky finally told me his story. He said he was a cocaine addict and would run with, quote, that crowd, as he put it. That crowd was still out there, and it consisted of guys and girls in their 20s running from bar to bar, catching an act, 
snorting some coke, hanging out in the bar all high, then off to the next gig all night long on Friday, Saturday nights, and some other nights too. One day, he said, I decided to put the coke down. I was never much of a drinker, maybe a scotch whiskey, but that was it. I was sick of it, he said with a shake of his head. I thought I would find that woman of my dreams or something, but that didn't happen. Sure, I got laid once in a while, but we both knew it wasn't, wasn't to be right away. What got me was that after I got sober and he still hung out with me because he seemed to be cut, we, we seemed to be cut from the same cloth. We would shoot pool and he could nurse one scotch whiskey all night long. He did wonder what all that coke over all those years might have done to him, though. He was there when I got lonely, and he came to visit me many times when I took on the job of house manager of a sober living facility. But he was one of the lucky ones who was able to say enough is enough. He had retained his power of choice. Skinny as a rail, long face, and spiky hair. Didn't matter. He was my friend. Turned out we did come from a similar gene pool. His mom was Lithuanian and his dad was German. My parents were of the same nationalities except vice versa. Go figure, chance, huh? We had great fun together. He had another friend of his, Bobby Z, a disc jockey with spiked blonde hair, all drove up to see the Toronto Blue Jays play the Milwaukee Brewers baseball team. Remember, this was 1994 or so when the Boers were still in the American League. And we went to Toronto near where I grew up. Turned out we missed the first game because we were only six hours late. <laughs> we pulled up to my mom's house and my brother John is sitting on the stoop. He says, well, we'll never make the game now because it's already the sixth inning. You wise guys got the time wrong. It's an afternoon game, not a night game. But we didn't miss the next day game and even spent a pleasant evening with the broadcast crew sober. A year or two after we started our friendship, he started to have episodes of Crohn's disease. And I would drive him to the hospital since it had become too painful for him to drive. They opened him up that last time and he had developed a fast-moving case of colon cancer that killed him just a month or so after they discovered it. The week he died, he said he wanted to go swimming, so his sisters and Bobby Z and I all shared a room for a day, just so that Ricky could spend some time in the water on a beautiful, warm summer's day. There was another fellow there with us, but I don't recall who he was. We all knew he was dying. And we cried like little boys when I remember saying he was the best of us. And yes, he was. He helped me stay sober at the most important time, the early years. He was my friend. What did we learn from the story of Ricky today? We learned that one, some of the most important friendships happen in early sobriety when we most need them. Two, there are the lucky ones who wake up and are still able to deploy their power of choice and say, this is it, it's over. Number three, it is possible to have a whole lot of fun when you get sober and you don't need the help of any mind-altering substance. Four, we can undo what we have done. That is, in this case, leave a dishonest relationship after we sober up, even when it hurts to do so, because we know we're doing the right thing. Our podcast is sponsored by safehouserehab.com, a modern approach to recovery. 
To learn more, visit us at safehouserehab.com.